Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Adage. The nothing personal word of the day is adage. An adage is a proverb or a short statement expressing a general truth. I thought of adage because of what's going on today, and I'm leading off the show with this. Here's an adage that I was taught as a child, as a small child, as a small teenager, as a small young adult. I was always told at home, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt me. That's called an adage. And I've thought about that a lot in these past few days as Tory Hunter, the former Major League Baseball player, went public with something that those of us in the industry have always known, that going to Fenway Park was never a walk in the park, having nothing to do with the quality of team on the field. It had to do with the lack of quality of human beings in the stands. Tory Hunter went public saying that I would negotiate no trade clauses. That's why I was never a Marlin. I would negotiate no trade clauses saying, trade me anywhere, but I will not play in Boston. Claiming that he had been called the N-word time and time again while patrolling the outfield in the hallowed grounds of Fenway Park. And I immediately, when I read what he said, I wasn't surprised by it because that's something that had been talked about in our clubhouse often with not just black players, white players, Hispanic players. We talk about the fans in Boston. We talk about the fans in Philly. They always ranked one and two in terms of Misguided passion is what we would call it. We always respected the fact that they would sell out. They always drew more than we ever did in Miami. But the players couldn't get over the fact that they'd look in the stands and players were always taught we would teach them ignore when people are yelling at you or heckling you. But we hear it. Sitting in the front row as an executive getting heckled, you hear it, I promise. I pretend not to hear it because I'm not going to respond, but of course we hear it. Players on the field, you may think that your words have no meaning, but not only do the players hear it, but what about the hundreds of fans around you who hear what you're saying? What about the children or your children when you are saying or calling names? And I wonder whether being taught that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I'm not sure that was helpful, but it really was helpful when I was growing up. And as I've gotten older and become an adult, at least in terms of years measured on earth, that may be the only way I'm an adult. I started thinking, but that is a way to excuse other people's behavior. That's a way to make me feel better and stay silent 
about wrongs that are done to me and to other people. I'm in no way, in no way saying that being called the N-word or having racist taunts being thrown at you is even close to being called short or any of the other things that I've been called, loudmouth, know-it-all, Napoleon. I've heard it. I wonder why we tell people that proverb and that adage saying, don't let the names bother you, because then what you do is you actually make the problem worse. If you think about it, if you're not willing to stand up, all of the times that players are heckled, and when they engage, they get criticized by people in the front office, like me. When players have tried to engage with fans, I always say, just let it go. You play the game. You're getting paid a lot of money. Let it go. There's great songs about letting it go. Just let it go. It's on Broadway. It's in animated movies. I actually don't know if the Idina Menzel song from Frozen, Let It Go, is about, I've never listened to the words. Well, I've seen Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. I actually don't know whether or not Let It Go is about just letting things roll off your back. And I've been told for years, what a great talent you have, David. You just let things roll off your back. It's like you have an armor around you, a shell. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe when you let things roll off your back, you actually leave no room for improvement and it makes problems worse. I never thought when Torrey Hunter said what he said that the Red Sox would do anything because the Red Sox have never done anything. It is a very incorrect statement to say that every Red Sox fan is racist. It is a very incorrect statement to say that every Red Sox fan uses those words and heckles players in that way. Never claimed it, never said it, never would. The reason why the Red Sox never did anything, what were they going to do? If you hear someone say it, you eject that fan. If you can find it, if that fan doesn't get cover surrounded by other complicit people. But what the Red Sox did yesterday makes me think that it's possible, possible that times are changing. The Boston Red Sox, the faces of the Red Sox, here's the front table. John Henry, white. Tom Werner, white. Sam Kennedy, president, white. Chaim Bloom, chief baseball officer, white. These are, I know all the, these men, these are good men. These are not racist men in any way. These are not men who want anything other than a better world, a safer world. These are businessmen, all of them. And the Red Sox are a very big business. And we're not talking about hooliganism that exists in the EPL where the owners of the Red Sox also own Liverpool. We're talking about downright racism. The Red Sox stood up yesterday after Tory Hunter's comments basically were reported and then it was dropped, including by me. It didn't even make nothing personal. We decided that we weren't going to talk about it on the show because we were under the mistaken view that the trendy news and the important subjects to cover until the Red Sox acknowledge 
what Tory Hunter said or MLB acknowledges or other players stand up and acknowledge. Let's let it go. And I agreed. Coke and I had an intelligent, mature conversation, producer and He's the producer and in charge of understanding what works and what doesn't. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sox came out with a statement that started with the impossible until yesterday. Tory Hunter's experience is real. This is the owner of the Red Sox. The statement went on to say, if you doubt him because you've never heard it yourself, take it from us. It happens. The Red Sox acknowledged in one sentence what everyone has talked about in the industry, but everyone swept under the rug as though if you ignore it, it goes away. The old ostrich head in the sand routine. Bunker mentality. We're good here. There's nothing to see. Keep moving. The Red Sox said, we will not keep moving. They continued and said last year there were seven reported incidents at Fenway Park where fans used racial slurs. Those are just the ones we know about. Wow. Seven reported incidents of racist behavior and taunting. And those are only the ones which were reported. They then say it's not just players. We have dedicated black employees who work for us on game days. Their uniforms may be different, but their voices and experiences are just as important. You know what happened? Tory Hunter spoke. People listened And then people felt it was okay to talk about their experiences without any possibility of thinking they're going to be fired or they're going to lose the opportunity to take care of their family and provide for their family. The Red Sox ended their statement by saying true change starts from within and we identify. Let me do that again, please. They had the words perfectly. I did not. True change, they said, starts from within. And as we identify how we can do better, please know we are listening. We hear you and we believe you. It's an overwhelming statement. And the reason to me it was overwhelming is that my basic principle about business, I'm going to put it aside for one minute. And I'm going to ask myself, if I were the Red Sox, do I do this statement? What are the risks? What are the rewards? What are the risks of saying to my sponsors and to my fans that we acknowledge there is racism and racists among us, that we acknowledge that there are black players in Major League Baseball, who do not want to play for the home team having nothing to do with the owner or the quality of team on the field or the quality of our clubhouse. It is simply because of the quality of our fan base. It's an overwhelmingly deep sentiment that will ripple across this industry and all of sports. I was wondering if sponsors will say, I don't want to be associated with the Red Sox or with an organization where fans are like this. Or will sponsors rally behind the Red Sox, who, by the way, are incredible community partners in Boston, raising millions upon millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars to make a difference. 
Maybe it's time part of that money was used for education. Explaining that when racism is passed on from generation to generation, that's what happens over years and then decades and then centuries. And it builds and it builds and it's like plaque on your teeth. At some point you go to the dentist and they require a jackhammer like Dumb and Dumber. That's the movie. Remember when they used the sand wedge paper, the big sand machine to cut the guys, to cut Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels' toenails? In order to stop that from happening, you have to start with something. And the Red Sox didn't start with a tiny baby step. They took a giant step. Tory Hunter immediately responded on Twitter with love with a ton of emojis of fist bumps of all colors. You know the emojis that have all the different colors for your skin? You're white. You're a little white. You're not as white. You're a little brown. You're very brown. You're a little black. You're very black. You can choose what you want to be, what you want to represent, what you are. Tory Hunter chose them all. He had a career of disappointment in Boston. In two paragraphs, the Red Sox reversed that experience and acknowledged Tory Hunter. And Tory Hunter forgave them. Let this be a lesson to all of us. The next time you are around and the videos are being posted left and right these days, there was one yesterday of an unbelievably, I guess, Rococo, well, I, I, they keep saying it's Karen, and there's a word for that. Karen must mean it's a expression to signify someone doing something racist, I guess, or doing something racist is all I can figure because the Karen was in Central Park, and then the Karen was working out somewhere, and some woman was completely racist toward her, and that video is all over the internet, as it should be, because we all have cameras now. Just imagine for a minute that each of us chooses to put a stake in the ground right now and stop the tide of racism now by speaking up, having the courage that Tory Hunter had, and then having the willingness to do what the Red Sox did. Thank you, John and Tom and Sam and Chaim. So I was on CBS Sports HQ last night. If you were watching the draft, I was on with RJ Anderson for a half hour. Then Will Middlebrooks and I spent a few minutes talking about the draft, MLB draft. I used to love draft day. It's like this renewal, this feeling of endless possibility. Kids who have a chance to grow into men that can perform for your team and then get traded when you can't afford them. Kids who are able to make money for their families when they haven't come for money or kids who have had privilege, didn't take that privilege for granted and worked hard and want to be professional athletes. Kids who have a talent that all of us dreamt we could have and don't. I always enjoyed what happened after we would draft a player. Jeffrey, the owner, would call the first round pick, sometimes the second round pick, congratulate him on being chosen. The other kids would get called by the scouting director, sometimes the GM or the president of baseball operations. And the genuine feeling of all these kids 
is that of possibility because dreams are shattered in Major League Baseball every single day. That's really one of the reasons why that shell exists that I talked about earlier in the show is that every day you are shattering dreams when you send players down to the minor leagues, when you don't call up players to the major leagues, when you release minor leaguers, when you release major leaguers, when major leaguers who have had careers realize their careers are done, when minor league players realize they will never have a career, or when college or high school players realize they will never become professionals. It's like we're Jeff Probst and Survivor, snuffing all of these kids' torches. I think I've told you the story, Coca, of what I was thinking when Jeff Probst snuffed my torch on Survivor. That moment is frozen in time in my mind. You know, there are moments in life where you just, at time stops. You recognize that this is a, a moment in your life that you won't forget, and you slow it down. There are people who have the opposite reaction, right? They go through things, and in fact, they say there are, uh, it speeds up for them. Well, for me, it slowed down. I'm going to actually talk about my entire torch stuffing experience at the end of month. Uh, we'll do a bonus pot about it because the whole final tribal council where I got voted out was a fascinating sort of several hours of my life. Look for that later in June. By the way, if you found the YouTube channel and people are, but we're on YouTube, please subscribe. Tell a friend about nothing personal. And if you don't mind, uh, if you could, Download, subscribe, tell friends, and uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Thank you. I don't know what Coca's saying to me. Oh, Coca's like, what do you think the stress you had in Survivor? He's typing this to me right now. Sometimes he talks to me in my ear. Sometimes he types on our document. He wanted to know whether or not the stress on Survivor was the same as the stress for a player waiting to be chosen in the draft. The answer is, for players waiting to be chosen in the draft, because of all the mock drafts these days... Once in a while, there's a player or two who falls or a player or two who's drafted above where he is suspected to go, but it is not close to that level of stress. I was wondering while watching the draft what the Astros were doing. What do you do when you don't have a first or second round pick? Well, what you do is you're paying attention to the third, fourth, and fifth round, and you go about your draft the same way as you always do. The Astros were punished by losing their first and second round pick this year. The Red Sox were punished and lost their second round pick. And as an organization, it is very difficult to lose picks. Picks are like gold for organizations, even organizations like the Astros and Red Sox. Think about the Astros. Remember when they lost 100 games like three years in a row and they were rebuilding, they were horrible, and all of a sudden they were in the World Series several years in a row, won the World Series? Those were players for the most part who they had drafted. Obviously, they traded for Verlander, et cetera, but they had, they had drafted the core of their team a draft is a way to get better. It doesn't happen quickly, but you can get better quickly in terms of payroll, where you can then supplement these great draft picks with free agents, and you can be a middle-of-the-pack payroll team and have a window to win. By the Astros losing their picks, what they're thinking about behind closed doors and not admitting is that that was the biggest punishment they got. It wasn't the $5 million that Jim Crane had to pay. It wasn't all the booing. It wasn't any of the firings of the managers or the general manager. The biggest impact of the punishment was the losing of draft picks. So the Astros were sitting around. Red Sox took a first-round guy named Nick York. 
Everyone said what he was the surprise of the first round period. They're calling him the next Kevin Euclid, who was a great player for the Red Sox, but I think he's signed to go to Arizona and I'm not sure that the Red Sox are going to offer him the full $3.6 million. GMs were in a very tough position this year during the draft because they lost an entire season of scouting reports. There's been no college or high school baseball. That's the reason why we said on nothing personal, correctly so, that more college players would go than ever before in the first round. And we were right. There was a record. The first seven picks were all college players for the first time in draft history. Why is that? Because teams are looking for players with track records so they can go on the reports that they had. And if you lose an entire senior season in high school, that's a big problem. The other surprise that people called that we didn't, the Orioles with the second pick out of nowhere drafted Heston Kerstad. Who's Heston Kerstad? He's a guy who's going to be a top 10 guy, maybe a top 12 guy. Second round pick. Sorry, second pick in the country. So the way it works in baseball is you get a pot of money. Let's say $10 million. You have to spread that $10 million across all five of your players who you're drafting. Remember, it's only five picks this year, five rounds. So you spread the $10 million, but then there are slot values. So the second round, the first round, second pick overall, let's pretend that at a slot value of $8 million. And then the Orioles would have $2 million for the other four players. The Orioles said, instead of spending $7.79 million on the second pick in the country, let's draft a guy who doesn't think he's going to go second. We're going to call the agent and say, hey, you're going to be drafted around 10, 11, or 12. The slot for 10, 11, or 12 is, let's say, $5 million, $4 million. We're going to draft you second. Congratulations. You get to say you're the second pick of the country, but we're only going to give you that $4 million that you would have gotten if you were drafted 10th. Some agents say, no way. We'll take our chances. Some agents say, hey, I'd love my guy to say he was drafted second because people remember that. When you go look at a player's resume, do you know what you never ever read, and I would say this to agents and players and parents and family and cousins and brothers, oh my, when your resume is written, what it says is, and what it will always forever say, Heston Kerstad, 2020 draft, first round, second overall pick, period. It never will say Heston Kerstad, 2020 draft, first round, second overall pick, took $3 million below slot. Nope. So it's good for the kid. It's good for the team. It is a great way for teams to go, and it infuriates certain agents, which makes me even happier. But the reason I always agreed with spreading out the slot money is that the first round, like every round in the draft, as we said yesterday, it's a game of roulette. And in roulette, you don't know what you're going to get. You've got about a 50-50 shot. The first round is the same even in the top 10. There is only a 50% chance that Heston Kerstad will pitch in the major leagues. On draft day, I get to think about my, I had 18 drafts. I get to think about some of my best memories, some of my worst memories. I wanted to just pass along a quick story to you about how 
I talked about it on CBS Sports HQ in case you missed it, a little more detail. One of my great memories was drafting Mike Stanton. He was Mike Stanton back then, not Giancarlo. He was a Adonis in high school who everybody was scouting except everybody believed he was going to go and be a tight end, wide receiver, offensive player in football, that he was going to be a professional football player and go to college to play football. I could be wrong, Coca. I want to say Notre Dame, but he's a California guy, so I wonder whether it was a California school. But I don't know why Notre Dame is in my head. But let's just say it's Notre Dame, and it doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. What agents do for players like that, trying to get that player to get as much bonus money as possible, is they tell baseball scouts, hey, my guy's playing football. He could play baseball, but it's going to take above slot money to get him to give up college football. And the reason Notre Dame was in my head, thank you, Coke, because he played at Notre Dame High School. That's funny. That's why it's in my head. So we drafted him out of Notre Dame High School. He was going to go to USC, which makes perfect sense because he's a Californian. I'm glad we got that straight. Thank you. I was almost completely right, Coca. Almost. Like 87.7%. So Stan, his agent, told us, hey, he's going to play football. He's going to go to USC. Our scouting director came in to speak to, at the time, Larry Beinfest, Mike Hill, me, and Jeffrey, and said, all right, we got a guy, Mike Stan, check him out. They show video, monstrous power. They said, this is someone who is a middle-of-the-order bat, This is a game changer. But we think he's going to play football. But they said, we're going to talk to him. We're going to talk to the agent. Let's see. So what we did is we spoke to him and the agent, and we found out that he would actually play baseball. But we spread rumors around the sport that he was going to go to USC and play football because we didn't want anyone to draft him in front of us. We waited till the second round for a reason that is beyond, beyond, it's beyond comprehension. What year was that, Coco? Was he drafted in 07? Is that possible? It can't be. It can't be that many years ago. It's got to be, got to be later than 07. We're in 20 already. And he's 30. So it must've been 09, 08. I don't know. Check that. But in any case, we, all the years meld together. You know that. So we basically said, we're not going to look at him anymore. We're going to acknowledge to other scouting directors all the way down to scouts, pro scouts, area scouts, and say, yeah, that Mike Stan, I wish he'd play baseball, but he is definitely going to school. It was 2007 draft. So we had a first round pick in 2007. That's amazing, Coca. My favorite draft memory, my worst draft memory of the same year, 2007. So we spread the word that Stan was going to play football. We have a first round pick and we're fighting internally about the first round pick. Our owner wanted to draft a kid named Jason Hayward. We had a guy working for us, Dan Jennings, who wanted to draft Jason Hayward. And our scouts wanted to draft Matt Dominguez. Who have you heard of, Matt Dominguez or Jason Hayward? Matt Dominguez did make it to the big leagues. Matt Dominguez, I'm really testing my absolutely horrific memory. Is there a chance that Matt Dominguez went to high school in California? Is there a chance, Coca, that he went to Chatsworth? I don't think I'm right. But if I am, oh my God, I am right. That is shocking. So Chatsworth is the high school that Larry Beinfest went to. 
and played baseball there, as well as Brett Saberhagen and other players. Matt Dominguez had the softest, most unbelievable hands. When we see video of him, this is a first-round pick. This is a guy whose bat can play, but you're talking about this is the next Alex Gonzalez. You have to understand where we were in the history of our franchise. We had won a World Series four years earlier. Alex Gonzalez was the greatest shortstop we had ever seen. And to this day, is the greatest shortstop I've ever seen, with all due respect to Hanley Ramirez and Jose Reyes. The greatest defensive shortstop. Matt Dominguez was going to be that. Jason Hayward had a chance to be a hitter plus defender. And we went with Matt Dominguez because we went with our scouting director who got it right way more than he got it wrong. And there are players who we missed every year. And guess how many teams miss drafting great players in Major League Baseball? Each year, guess how many? 30. Every team passes on a great player every single year. You can't get them all right. You don't fire your scouting director. You don't get angry with your scouting director because he misses one. You look at the entire body of work. That scouting director had the best draft of all time in 2007. Forget the fact, and it was Jim Fleming at the time, forget the fact that we took Matt Dominguez in the first round over Jason Hayward. The reality is we got Mike Stan in the second round because they properly spread the word that he was going to play football. The draft is a crapshoot. Today is rounds two, three, four, and five. Will there be stars? Yes, there will. When did Josh Donaldson go, Coca? He's whispering, Josh Donaldson. What does that mean? Oh, he went 48th in that draft. All right, that's great. That means 47 teams missed on Josh Donaldson. 47 picks. He's a good player. Good player. But in any case, the draft will happen today, second, third, fourth, and fifth round. There will be stars. There will be wasted money. I promise you, both of those statements are correct. When we come back on the other side of this break, we are going to review a movie that is a romantic movie that my assistant, Beth, begged me to watch. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back. I take movie suggestions from everyone. 
when you are in my Twitter at David P. Sampson, you can DM me. If you know me, you can text me, email, whatever. Just get me some movie suggestions. You know, I'm watching movies and TV shows every day. I've had my assistant since 2002. I'm a very lucky man. She said, watch Love, Wedding, Repeat. She knows I love romantic comedies, romantic movies. She didn't know how much I love Olivia Munn, who was in the newsroom. I think that's Aaron Rodgers' ex-girlfriend before Danica, um, Danica Patrick. Freda Pinto, who is in one of my all-time favorite movies, Slumdog Millionaire. She's in this movie. This is an interesting movie. It's about a guy and a wedding. So, and he's sort of, it's a British movie. He's sort of like Hugh Grant. It's sort of like four weddings and a funeral, but it's one wedding and then one wedding again under totally different circumstances, an alternate reality seemingly taking place at the same time. There's very little character development. There is romance in a way that definitely makes you smile. Freda Pinto actually plays a bad woman who's not nice, which bothers me because I always want her to play the perfect woman. Olivia Munn is a character who they just can't hook up with the guy. And I don't mean that in any sexual way, although I guess it's true. They get their first kiss gets interrupted. And then the movie continues to show how the interruptions keep happening as they try to connect over the years. A little bit like Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant, Hugh, Hugh Grant in Four Weddings and a Funeral. My view of Love, Wedding and Repeat, it's about an hour and a half of fluff. It's not the end of the world. It's okay to watch. It's not going to win any awards, but you'll smile. You may even shed a tear. One, it won't be flowing. The water ducts will not be filled. There's a few laughs. It's love. It's a wedding. It's repeat. So you want to talk to Samson. I don't know why we didn't put this in front of at the top of the show. This is when you're in my uh, Twitter at David P. Samson and ask me a question. Someone wanted to know, what's the financial impact of NASCAR's decision to ban the Confederate flag? Wow. Let's not blow by that. Here's the question. What is the financial impact of NASCAR's decision to ban the Confederate flag? What, what are we talking about? I thought the Red Sox had the most important statement of the day. And all of a sudden, NASCAR, NASCAR, are we aware the Majority of NASCAR fans are south. Is it south of the Mason-Dixon line? Is that an expression? NASCAR released a statement. The presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all fans, our competitors, and our industry. Bringing people together around a love for racing and the community that it creates is what makes our fans and sports special. The display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events and properties. Holy crap. NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. There's definitely a financial impact to that. And I think the financial impact is positive. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And there are companies and people who have been on the wrong side of history for two or 300 years. This is when you want to be on the right side. 
We are seeing things change in a way that we have talked about and talked about that Martin Luther King tried to live to see and didn't. What happens if as a result of all this, the Washington Redskins change their name, the Cleveland Indians change their name? What happens if NASCAR now realizes that any sponsor who walks away because they're banning the Confederate flag is a sponsor they didn't want to have? And we already saw somebody walk away from racing. And Coca, I forgot to write his name down or even mention I was going to say it. I didn't know I was going to say it, but I'm going to say it. One of the NASCAR drivers retired because he was so upset that NASCAR was banning the Confederate flag. I want to say his name is Ray Kinsella. Ray Kinsella is the guy from Field of Dreams, so it's definitely not Ray Kinsella. It is Ray, oh, come on, Coca, Sikicirelli, Sisarelli, Ray Sisarelli. Ray Sisarelli is a NASCAR driver who doesn't have 1.1 win, nothing. He's terrible. He literally stinks. I have a better chance. By the way, I got another great story. Have I told you the story of when me and Jeff Conine went to Homestead and actually raced NASCARs? Love that story. Racing is amazingly fun. In any case, I bet you that that's another bonus pod that I could do to get Conine on with me to tell the story of what happened that day in Homestead. Book that, Coca. So Ray Cicerelli says... NASCAR, you're going to ban the flag. Guess what? I'm done. And you know what people are saying? Good riddance. Now, what if he had been the top-rated driver? The top-rated driver under no scenario would ever have retired because he felt so strongly that the Confederate flag belonged in NASCAR. The fact of the matter is that sponsors sponsored NASCAR because people who believe in racism or who believe in white supremacy They are buying products that are being sold at NASCAR races that are being advertised. And the advertisers are waking up and saying, you know what? We'd rather do without that percentage of the market, that declining percentage of the market, to stand up and say no more. I'm so happy that NASCAR did what it did. Because can you feel it? Can you feel it just a little bit? I do. Change is happening. Open your window and pay attention and be on the right side of it. We're trying with the ML Beard Challenge. It's day 88. Wow. So we're growing our beards for until baseball starts and we don't know when that is. We do know. Rob Manford said there is 100% guarantee that baseball will happen, which means, Coca, we will not be growing our beards until next April. There will be an opening day at some point. Let's just pray it's August 1st at the latest, maybe even July 15th. Could it be July 10th, July 12th? Are we within potential? I don't know the date. Today's the 11th. Could we be within a month of shaving, which would get us to about 118 days? Well, for 100 of those days, we're giving away $1,000 to organizations around the country. Today's organization is called 100 Black Men of America. 
100 Black Men of America is an organization, the mission of which is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African Americans. It's a mentorship program. It acknowledges that not all children, many children, most children are not born with privilege, opportunities, or a positive network. Some kids, 100 Black Men of America's organization says on its website, that you should go look at and donate, even if it's $19 or $9 or $0.09, cents, anything. Some are raised throughout their lives thinking they'll never be able to live the life they want. This is because the environment and the people who they surround themselves with every single day. Well, what 100 Black Men of America do is they surround these kids with mentors and people who can show them another plan. What we've talked about now for a week and a half and it should have been for much longer, the possibility of having choices that you didn't dream you could have. And in order to believe in the possibility of a different path, you have to have mentors around you who have taken that other path, succeeded in that other path, and can show you the way. Not everyone is going to be a path maker. Talked long, long and hard on this show about followers and leaders. There's nothing wrong with being a follower at all. And leaders have to forge paths through unbelievably thick brush. Followers just have to be smart enough to choose the right path. 100 Black Men of America make that choice and help kids make that choice. Okay. Wait to see is a uh, something that we do with accountability. When things go well, we predict, we tell you. When things don't, we tell you. But we talk about different things in different sports or different interesting possibilities. We're talking NBA today. Yesterday, the NBA had a call. Players. We Remember we did that famous call? I don't know if it's famous, but a lot of you liked it. When we had the players on a call talking about they want to play this season. We've had owners on the call, commissioners on the call. We like doing calls. Well, yesterday, there was another call. And this was players saying, mm, you know what? I'm not so sure about the July 31st start date in Orlando. The whole bubble thing. There's all this racial unrest. There's COVID-19. I don't know if this bubble plan is going to work. I mean, I know we can golf. I know we have an opportunity to go to restaurants if we sit outside. I know that if we leave the bubble, we have to be quarantined for 10 days. I know that we can't use the actual parks. So if I bring my kids, they're going to be miserable looking at Goofy and Mickey and Minnie and dopey, and not being able to go to those parks. So I'm not sure that we should be playing. Hmm. Is the NBA about to have a negotiation between its players and its owners? A negotiation where the league has been the example of how to act during COVID-19, but it's not exactly as though they've had difficult decisions to make. But now they do. The NBA already leaked out a memo today saying that any reporters coming into the bubble, you're going to be there three and a half months and you're not leaving that bubble. You're like a player. Are reporters and beat writers going to give up three and a half months and go into that Orlando bubble? The players, it's really three months, I guess, if you go all the way to October 12th. The NBA has responded today. No way they're responding to this call, but they moved the start date to July 30th from July 31st. That extra day is critical. 
positive tests in Orange County, where Orlando is, have been increasing. There is no definitive answer as to whether or not the NBA can restart. They have a plan. It's the same thing with the NHL. They have a plan that's been approved to restart, but it all depends on a schedule. And it all depends on the health risks and the health protocol. All the things that baseball is being criticized for and is being held to a different standard because of the fighting going on between the union and the owners. Every one of the leagues is going to have to deal with this. The NBA with this call, let me predict one thing for you. Well, the wait to see, I'll get it out of the way right now, just so you know it. The wait to see is the NBA will play in 2020. Why am I saying that? By the way, it means I'm going to go one for two because I have a wait to see that says they're not going to use one site to play the playoffs. So now, 50-50, I mean, you're talking Hall of Fame. I like to do better with wait to sees. But the NBA players who were on the call, did anyone get a report? Was LeBron James on that call? What about Giannis? What about Anthony Davis? Was he on the call? Kawhi Leonard. No, I didn't see his name either. Who are the players actually on this call saying they were hesitant coming on the heels a month and a half ago of a similar call with players with the opposite conclusion? I wonder whether or not people realize how star-driven the NBA is. You never see MLB players when calls happen. MLB, as much as we've always tried, there's a dollar, as much as they've always tried, what are we up to, like 13 bucks, Coca? I mean, it's unbelievable. I am just going to give you $100 and you can just keep it on account up to $12 already. All right. Next time I see you, which maybe I haven't seen him. By the way, this is quite something for a show, having a producer who I have not seen other than on Zoom and FaceTime since March, I don't know, 15th, 16th. But the fact is that these NBA players having these calls in a star-driven league like the NBA The non-stars do not hold weight. MLB is different. There really are not stars who have a far bigger say in what happens with the union or what happens with the team and the negotiations. The NBA is different. Those stars are leaders of the union and they run the show. I found it interesting that no names were attached to this call. I found it interesting that there was no response because when LeBron James had a call, there was an immediate response. Random, nameless, faceless NBA players have a call saying they're hesitant and it is swept under the rug, except here on Nothing Personal. I want a roster. I want a call sheet. Who were those players? Because LeBron's going to find out. And LeBron's going to call each and every one of them. And there will be a united front, no matter what's negotiated, because there still has to be a negotiation about players who decide to opt out and not play. NBA is saying, hey, you cannot play. No problem. Let's see how that goes. Because LeBron and Adam Silver know one thing for sure. That having the NBA play in 2020 is 100% about business. This is nothing personal. 